0: Welcome back to Missionary Mindset. This is the podcast where we do a deep dive on all things missions in East Asia. This week, we continue our conversation with Ryan Greer. We do a deeper dive into his journey into Taipei and back to the States. Let's continue the conversation. Did you or your family prepare for the culture shock that anyone would have when moving to a new country?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> no. There weren't. I, I I think there there are things we would... I don't know how you would, I, I, yeah, that's probably like a missiologist would have some great things to say about that. I, we talked about, I think we spent some time talking just not like in any, we didn't have like a class in my house. Like, okay, this is what to expect. Cause we didn't know what to expect. You know, we're not, I think the first, I had, I had been to Mexico once and Canada once. So that, I mean, we were not world travelers. We were your typical uh, ugly Americans, you know, like, You know, we didn't know any, like, what would we tell them? I mean, we went to this mission training institute in Colorado, which is, they have two, now it's one program. I don't think you can opt out of the second half, but then it was kind of a two-part program. There was a language piece and then a culture piece. And so we went just for the language piece. It was, we could, not the story of how we got to do that is a a whole story on its own, Uh, but it was $10,000. Oh, wow accidentally gave us ten thousand dollars which is what we needed for that school they meant to give us a thousand from their foundation the check came into our church for ten thousand and they said ah keep it <laughs> <laughs> so that ten thousand was for the three-week language it was like a language how to learn a language a school and how to learn a language but oh, wow. the other piece they had was uh something they used to, they used to call like spice or splice or i don't know but it was the Culture. We didn't do that. In retrospect, if I knew now, then what I know now, I might have pushed to get the money to do that other piece too. For for both of our our sakes, actually. I think I can see now the importance of that. But we didn't have the, our church, we were our church's first missionaries. Our church didn't have the tools to know what our kids, and we need to know for the sake of our kids. We didn't have the tools we had to, we went there independently. So there's no agency going, Hey, you need to have, here's some resources. And I do think it could be overdone. I mean, we're basically, what we're trying to do is live our life there. Right. So I, it's already going to be, you're in a foreign culture, foreign language, everything's different. No duh. Right. I, I, I think we can go too far and play up the strangeness so much that it almost makes kids unable to adapt to their culture. I can, there's some line. I don't, I don't want to say too much because I haven't studied it extensively, but I think there's some, there's some line there between preparing them for a reality, but also not overplaying it. Hmm. It's kind of like the third culture kid thing. Like, yeah, it's a reality. I mean, that's true, but I do think you can lean too hard into that. Maybe and tell kids, I mean, you tell a kid, Hey, you're going to, you're not going to fit in when you get back. You're not going to fit in when you go, you're not going to fit in. And then they're like, I'm not going to fit in when I get back. And then they don't fit in. Okay. So There's one thing to say that on the other side, they do nothing. And in between, maybe there's like, listen, you need to be prepared. That there are going to be some challenges you face if you grew up in Taiwan and you go back for school. If you spent most of your life here, you go know, there are going to be some challenges. And I think, it's kinda, hey, that, not that that's enough just to say that, but there are probably things along that path that are helpful and then having maybe a therapist or a counselor or something for them wherever they go like if they're at a school the school should probably have somebody you know that they could talk to and like, don't wait until you know you're suicidal like like talk to somebody when you're feeling like uncomfortable like talk to somebody so there are probably some things you do to prepare them that way on the on the back end on the front end i just don't know other than going to that class we could have done that that kind of school for the whole family probably would have been good but I I don't know I don't know what we would have other than that I don't know what we what we could have done differently I think and and I I don't want to say too much because you might have another question related to this
0: so let's let's move a little bit into because I know when you guys moved here you moved kind of like you talked about earlier to kind of take over a church, the church had already been planted kind of. So what was it like basically taking over a church that had already been planted kind of had an identity already and you were stepping (laughs) into that?
1: Man, if I had known what I was getting myself into on that front, I probably wouldn't have been even more scared than I was. It was, I mean, it had been around for a while. I think it's, they started planting it. I think the trip started maybe like, Oh, four, uh, we came in, uh, 13. They'd been a year without a pastor. And before that they had had four different pastors. Um, always guys who nobody who was coming, nobody ever came like long-term. It was always like, Oh, we're going go for a couple of years. So in this church, and I'm not going to say the name of the church. Okay. Cause I, I because yeah, uh, no, in case some there's some stuff that happened later that was highly negative, And I don't, I don't, I don't want to, um, I mean, if somebody from there listened to it now, most of the people we know are gone from that church in Berkeley, California, but I, I would say, before I say anything else, I, although the relationship soured later and some things happened, I still have a, a love in my heart for the pastor of that church and for what that church did for us and their heart for, The gospel to reach Taiwan. Um, So I, just like I would have issues with my fundamentalist church growing up, we have issues, but they're not my enemy. I don't feel like they're my enemy. I think there are some substantial philosophical differences, but, um, so I'm not going to say the name of the church, but, but anybody who happened to hear it would know probably with that church. I say, like, I love those people. I love the pastor there. Pray for him. So okay, that's all I'll say about that. But so it was kind of a dying, tr- like it, it, they, had, they had, when the last pastor left, who, by the way, the, the previous pastors become a dear friend of our families, uh, him and his wife, just wonderful people. And we love them. Um, but they had left and it had, the church had been without a pastor for a year. When, before they left, a bunch of people had left the church. There were some issues. And so when we came on the scene, there were maybe, there's one expat there and there was probably eight to 10 people at the church and they were kind of the remnant. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't, it wasn't weird to me. I mean, when we came, the agreement we had, was like for the first year, roughly year, I was just going to study Chinese and we were listening to sermons from this pastor and, in, in Berkeley. So we would watch recorded sermons by him and they would be translated like simultaneous translation, which was not distracting at all. Uh, so that, like nobody could really hear, you can't hear the English, you or hear the Chinese. It's like, it was not a great setup, but whatever it, it seemed to work. Okay. And it was just getting to know the people. So I spent a lot, you know, mostly I was focused on school, uh, language school and, um, and just spending time with people. So we just had, you know, a lot of stuff and I, I'd say it wasn't, I didn't know, Enough to be worried about the difficulties of that. Like I, I learned them. I think I'm trying to remember when did you when did you guys come around? What year was it?
0: So we came sixteen. Yeah, maybe sixteen. Because it's twenty twenty one. We've been here for five years. So yeah, yeah. Sixteen. Summer of sixteen. So we
1: had our. We had already. We'd already. Yeah, we'd already broken the year, the Mm -hmm. summer before we had broken away from the church in Berkeley. Um, So yeah, if I had known what was coming and kind of the, I didn't understand, I was the first person to pastor that church who did not come out of the church in Berkeley. So I didn't even know there were Christians in Berkeley, California, as far as I knew, growing up in the deep South, there was, it was just, it was, it was just a hedonistic place with no Christians. I didn't know there were churches there, much less churches sending out missionaries. So I say that totally tongue in cheek, right? I mean, you get like get some like isolated upbringing, like. So we kind of went to Taiwan with their support, with our churches, but and kind of through them. But we weren't really, we didn't really know what they were all about, other than doctrinally. And then what I, what we learned over the years was, over the first couple of years was that the, the attempt was to kind of replicate what they were in in Berkeley and to replicate that in Taipei, which anybody who probably knows anything about church planning, we know that's, that's not going to work. And, and then to control it as if we were in the city next door. So at some point you've got to, if you're going to send a guy, you've got to trust him to just, I mean, you've got to kind of do that. let your hands off the the wheel and let that guy do it, or else send somebody where you can do that. And, and so it, we, we bumped into that pretty early. It kept bumping against it until it reached a point where we couldn't, we just couldn't move forward together. Yeah. Um, so, if I had known, answer your, that I am, I think I'm answering your question that when, at the outset was coming, we would have been a lot more afraid, We would have been a lot more scary. But I guess that's one benefit of being dumb. You know, you don't know enough to be afraid. And then when it comes, you're like, oh, oh, now we're dealing with this. Okay.
0: So that kind of leads into my next question about the church. So I know you made, obviously you made some changes. So would you make any of those changes differently? Like, would you change anything, I guess, that you changed within the church um, structure or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, i made very few changes functionally. I mean, the only thing I immediately changed was how we were doing communion, which um, seemed like a small thing to me, but it turned into. I think we've talked about that whole situation, right? Like it turned yeah. into this huge deal with the with this the planting church. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of things I would do differently, but as far as changing things, I think um, again this wasn't early on, but probably around the time you came Do we ever do Wednesday night when you were there? Uh, no, we did not. Okay. So we had eliminated by 16. I, I think I would not have eliminated that at least in the same way. Like, um, I think I would have, again, I was really trying to be the the Taiwanese people who were at our church. It was such a burden. Like, you know, they work all day and then to get there on a wednesday night it was just it just felt it wasn't to me it was no burden to me cuz that's my job let me have a job but it felt like they would come because they had to they felt like they had to and and i i didn't really think there was great benefit in it as like a forced thing because obviously they're either going to come um because they feel like they have to, or they're not going to come and they're going to feel really guilty because, you know what I mean? That kind of Taiwanese mindset. Yeah. And so I, w- I was trying in my mind to, to lessen what I saw as an unnecessary burden on them. I think I, think I would just maybe do it. I'm still, I still think I'd probably eliminate it, but I think I would have been more intentional about replacing it with something. Now, I mean, now with Zoom, like, I would have been awesome to say, hey, guys, we're going to work, like, Wednesdays, we're going to have a Zoom prayer meeting, and and that would have been, man, why didn't we think we could have done that? It would have been great. It just wasn't in our consciousness to do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I, I don't think it ever could replace church, but it certainly is, like, a midweek meeting to yeah. pray. Even, I might have just changed the whole thing, we're just going to get together and pray. Come come for five minutes. Come, you know clock in on zoom or whatever we're just going to pray together i don't know i i think i would have been more intentional about about the replacing of it mm-hmm. um i i think i would have i did I, I didn't there's no way it'd only work if i knew then what i know now i think i would have made the separation from the church in berkeley sooner i would have pushed for it sooner then we kind of reaching a relational fracturing point where it kind of had to happen. I would have liked to have done it more on my terms. And so I might have done that differently. I think there were some things with, with our worship leader relationally that I, I actually, of everything that happened in seven years in Taiwan, my biggest regrets revolve around my relationship with him. And some of that, Could never have gone differently without me knowing what I know now then, like in the early first year or so from like 2015, 16 on, there was no, like, there's no excuse for me not to have interacted with him differently and been more gracious and patient and, and uh, been more willing to, even if it was kind of rejected in a way to kind of force myself into mentoring him a little more even if he didn't want it to do that. I mean, gently, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Just kind of like find creative ways to mentor a guy who maybe didn't want me to mentor him uh, yeah. because of relational stuff from the early couple of years. But most of my regrets are things I do to re- resolve around him. I uh, revolve around him, I mean. And um, again, I'm, I'm not big on feeling guilt. I just, I don't think it accomplishes anything. Object- I, just, I just, I don't feel guilty about it. But I, boy, I would. I, I wish I could have had the foresight, the patience, the grace to interact differently with him when I when I had that. When I needed him to step down from leading worship, I, I I could have done that so much better. I could have made a clear path back to that position for him. But it was too like I just I didn't. I reacted instead of kind of thinking about, okay, what does restoration look like here? Like, how how do we, like, before we even start down this path of, like, you need to stop doing this to, like, hey, here's how we get back. Like, here's some things we can do to, to think about at the outset. Because I think there was, for him, maybe there was a kind of a hopelessness there. Like, whatever, I can't ever do this again. And I didn't make it clear. I didn't, not that I said you'll never, lead worship again but i i just didn't make the path clear
0: i mean you've talked you talked a little bit about some of the difficulties and stuff like that with taking over church was there ever a time where you doubted kind of being called to be a missionary to taiwan or be a pastor of a church in taiwan kind of how did you if there was how did you overcome that
1: okay You're going to, might find this hard to believe knowing, I mean, knowing we know each other and you'll be like, you know, I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic. That's the nature, but the short answer would be no. I never doubted wanting to do it, be believing I was called to do it. I highly doubted and in a, in an ever increasing measure, my ability to do it. So my doubt wasn't so much in, that I wanted to be there, that I believed I was supposed to be there, but my doubt was in heavily in myself. Like, I, I don't have the, and I think, I don't mean that as some kind of ill-placed or like, I think it was well-founded doubt. Like, I don't have certain skills. I need, that, I mean, again, this may be leeching into another question, but those doubts were related. Like, I needed somebody else or somebody else's, maybe somebody's else, like to kind of partner with me, and 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 maybe uh, be able to to lift up this area over here where I'm, where I, I don't have, like I can I can teach and preach. I love spending time with people, um, but it's never meant to have one elder in a church. And technically, we had a plurality but these guys were in the States. Right. Um, So there was, there was, I mean, I had Daniel Coe who kind of, in no official way, he kind of functioned as a sounding board for me. And I had a couple other pastor friends who did that, but like when the stuff happened with the worship leader (laughs) early on, there was nobody to say, Hey Ryan, I think you're being like, maybe like, there was nobody to do that to say, like, I I only had myself and nobody say, Hey, uh, I don't think I was ever mean to the guy, but I think I just was like, I didn't take the time to work with him in a certain way. So maybe somebody else could have said, hey, Ryan, why don't you let me spend some time with this guy? And, or what if you kind of did this? Like, there was nobody to do that with me. Nobody. Yeah. So um, I, don't know, I, came, I was not, a, I came later. Yeah, you came late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were getting to know, like, there, so there was a guy before you, uh, Josh Halubka, yeah, Ooh, yeah. There's a guy you should you should interview. Uh, just, man, what a one of my favorite human beings in the world is love, Josh. And and we realized and after we met and how that's a whole long story, but that we were like really close theologically and that he was different in ways that I really appreciated. Like he was a little bit more, you know, I, I would have been probably a much harder cessationist back then much more, like, rigid, and he was, like, kind of loosey, you know, on it, and, and, um, but we were just, I loved his heart, his, uh, he was going to become an elder, he was with the IMB, so I don't want to say too much, but uh, he was going to become an elder uh, with uh, with me, I was so, his fluent in Chinese, dude could preach in Chinese, it was going to be awesome, very administratively minded, like, he's, but all at the same time, like, really good with ideas and i'm bringing those ideas to fruition and i was so excited i have a brother here who's like we're, we're like-minded in the ways you kind of have to be but different in ways that you would want to be and it felt very complimentary and then uh let's just put this in that, the bottom kind of dropped out and they ended up leaving uh taiwan uh, not because they wanted to but it was kind of it was kind of uh, the situation forced that, and that was in fifteen. So that was not long before you came, as the church was. We were separating from the church in Berkeley, and I was so excited. I'm like, fine, like I felt like that was that was going to we can this is going to start moving a direction that's going to be real healthy. What I wanted for the church, which was us to be a local church in Taiwan that was moving towards being. Chinese speaking primarily with maybe any year English translation, you know, no. that the, the primary language, like we could, this guy is going to help us move that direction with his help. We'll be able to work on training a, a Taiwanese guy, you know, and, and I was so excited. And when that bot, when the bottom dropped out of that part of me died, I, I felt like this part of me died, like the hope, hope died in a way. And then, it was hard to see a path for me to see a path towards meaningful church ministry without somebody like that. Because I just became really aware of what tools I didn't have. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I went off off a little bit on your question, but that's okay. The things I would do differently. I there was a, I, yeah yeah. I mean, I, I think moving the church. You know, we were right there in what they sometimes call Little Jerusalem, we were renting space from the IMB and the Wanfu uh, building. And I think, again, that's a whole long story in itself, but I don't think they ever intended for our church to be there that long. I think there was some misrepresentations made by the planting church. <laughs> And so uh, it became clear to me. And I was talking to your buddy, Nick, one day saying, man, I feel like they want us out. And he's like, I can't say yes or no, but if you feel that way, there might be a reason, you know? (laughs) Um, And so I was like, okay, good. Uh, That, that kind of settles it for me. And so we moved. There are multiple reasons. One, the cost, because I knew that if we got out of there, our costs could drop significantly, which would mean we could probably support ourselves as a church without the money from Berkeley Two. The people who came to our church all lived, in, and most of them lived in Yonghe, Hu. So I thought we need to kind of go over there. There wasn't as much going on over there, church wise, as in Little Jerusalem. And the focus had been on the campus before I came along. Well, that's where like everybody and their and their distant cousins has ministry on the NTU campus. Like, that's great, but they don't need our little, you know, pea shooter there like it's it, we're not saving the day it's okay like and and it make when your focus is on ntu students it makes for a very transient church because let's be honest that the the highly educated those who go to the harvard of taiwan are generally not looking to stay yeah you know they're, they're looking to, to to move to england or america or australia or somewhere they can make more money and and get better benefits, and, and I understand that. But even was just talking about this Taiwanese friend of mine, brilliant guy. I think he's NTU grad. He's he's an engineer, a programmer. And I I sat and begged him one night not to leave. I begged him. His name was Peter. I begged Peter not to leave, and um, he He left. <laughs> um, my powers of persuasion are not that great. And I was like, brother, you you know, cry. You can do things here I'll never be able to do. Don't leave me. Like, don't leave us. Don't leave your people. He left. So that was part of it. It's like I, I want to I wanna try to, and I would not there was no human success here. Okay. But my heart was that we would go to an area of town where as people come, there's much less likelihood that they're gonna leave the country. Taiwan doesn't need any of its believers leaving, like you stay stay and do it. only you can do. Like, this is not a Western message. The gospel isn't a wet like, this is, this is for your people. And if they can hear it from you, not that I have no role to play. And I, I mean, I, if I believe that I would just have left, you know, totally willingly, but there's a way in which you're going to be able to minister to your family, to your friends, to your, and I'm here to, I'm here to facilitate that and how like, it every single way I can and to do my part. But I really wanted to have a church that was moving towards being a local church, not an American church in Taiwan. I mean, there's a great place. There's a place for that yeah. and that's great, but, but I'm not, I'm not convinced we need another one of those, you know, grace church where I was going when we left. Theologically, we had some differences, but man, I love that place. And look, if you're an English speaker, it's a great place to go. Earnest people, people who love Jesus. Dave Homer's just one of my, another one of my favorite human beings. It's great. I don't think we need to start another one like that. I'm not saying if somebody does, they're doing the wrong thing. That's that was not in my heart to do yeah. that. Anyway, so there, I mean, there's some things I, I I believe we did the right thing in moving the church over to young. But it didn't, it it would have required for that to kind of keep moving ahead. I needed at that point, I guess what I might have done differently was wait until I had the person that I needed to help me do that. I didn't, I didn't know how a short move, I mean, what is it? It's probably like a mile, like if by the as the crow fly direct, like it's not that far, but obviously a different world. And I probably, I might have, knowing what I know now, maybe I would have first looked for that person to help me, to partner with me, uh, with our church and doing that. Even if it wasn't somebody who was going to come on staff, or, like, but somebody who would partner with, with us there, um, I think I would have done that instead of doing the Lone Ranger bit. Yeah, that's that's probably one major thing functionally that I would have done differently. Although we didn't have the money to stay without the church in Berkeley and it would have blown up. like That would have created a whole other set of problems. But
0: yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations, church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org. TW. So moving back to the States, obviously like, like you guys did not, you know, very obviously it happened very quickly. There's a lot involved, you know? And I mean, we kind of talked about it with on Uva's podcast, at least me and Uva talked about it. I don't know if this made the edit. I don't know. It's a little while since I recorded that, but we talked about like me and you taking our walk and then, I guess like a month later, you leaving, how has that, I guess, shaped your walk with Christ and how has, I guess that changed you kind of either your family dynamic or your dynamic as a whole family. Um, and how's that just kind of changed how things, either how you view ministry on the mission field, or there's a lot of questions in there obviously, but yeah, feel (sighs) free to answer as many or as few as you
1: want. Um, it's it's so the way that all happened, brother, man.
0: Yeah, it happened really uh, quickly.
1: <laughs> it, the, here's a crazy, and I I'm not sure if we've so that guy Bill, who's not named Bill, had yeah. come for a visit in January. Uh, the summer before, and we talking, we had closed the church down yeah. in July. We'd stopped meeting, and the the point of that was twofold. One, my kids really needed. There were no other kids at our church. Even when we were at our heyday, there were only a couple. And then they, when they left, when uh, when uh, the school moved out to Lincoln or whatever, That was around that time, so we lost a couple of those kids. Um, so as for our kids' sake, but secondarily related to what I was saying before, like I knew um, my ability to minister effectively is inextricably. Tied to language and preaching every week, which I love preaching, like it's not a burden. I enjoy that. Um, You know, running even a small church, it just takes time. And there was not as much time to just study the language, to be with people without, like, you know, just like to sit with people and talk with people and be in living life, you know, with neighbors or whatever, and, and which is the way you really kind of absorb the language. And so talked to our elders and decided, yeah, we're going to stop meeting every week. You know, it was a hard decision, but I know it was the right one. And the thought was we'll do this for a year. And then, and then we'll kind of re reboot. But you actually,
0: you actually shut everything down while we were uh, back in the States.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we tried to play a trick on you. <laughs> um we talked, we talked yeah, about we it. Talked though, about right, I think we were talking. Yeah, we, 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 talk, yeah, you, we you, knew you were aware of what was going yeah,
0: on. Yeah, we knew way before you told me shortly at well, well before you told the rest of the church, but we had yeah. talked about that being a possibility for quite a while.
1: Yeah. So, so again, we still met every Saturday. We still had our space. It was dirt cheap, like twelve thousand a month or something. So uh, NT, that is, by the way, American listeners, if you're, if there are any. Um, so it's like four hundred bucks, you know, a month. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, like four hundred bucks a month. It was dirt cheap. So we would meet on Saturday nights for dinner, yeah. and, and we would use it, whatever. We used the space to do just the little things. So we kept meeting up. It wasn't like we abandoned each other, but I was one hundred percent focused on language. I taught a Bible class most, you know, every morning, but short other than that focused on language and just being in my neighborhood, just being around. I mean, that's, and when it came, so that was in, in August, we did that of, of 19, January 20, Bill, who's not Bill, came and uh, we were supposed to be moving towards reopening the church in July. We were going to, at that point, going to Grace TMO with Homer and and, uh, you know, and so a bunch of other, some IMB people and, and then a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of Americans and expats and stuff. It was great. Big children's ministry or kids. So he came and Bill was one of our major supporters with the foundation kind of passes the money through our church. And so he's kind of the first one I needed to talk to. And, and I told him, I, I didn't think we were going to be willing to open the church back up in July that, that summer that our kids, I mean, I think our kids are going to be down with, you know, like, oh, now we have friends and we're going to have to do this different. Yeah, I think we're going to do this differently. And other like, probably start like a Bible study and then kind of see where it goes um, to take it slow. Not like we're starting on July, whatever. kind of take, do a Bible study and kind of maybe along, maybe at that point, I'm thinking maybe Dave Homer would be willing to kind of help us to restart you know because he's very interested in in that kind of thing and and so then we just had some plans I said I really want to lean into our neighborhood and kind of doing things with our neighbors and and kind of instead of making our focus like we've got to plant this church we've got to plant this church I've got a pastor like kind of really pushing into some of these relationships that we have uh, locally and and he was we I was really nervous because after for for Caroline and I, I was like, Well, we, we know we can't reopen the church yet. We're not ready to do that. And if he says we can't support you unless you're church planting, then at that point we're gonna have to leave because we it's that's not in the cards for us right now. And he was really supportive. And and when we left when he left, we were so excited. This is like late January. We're so excited, like yeah, okay, we have we have the support of this guy. This is we I was gonna do a write-up like Hey, this is kind of what we're doing. The direction we're taking for the first time in probably two years, we felt like full of purpose, and like there was a direction, and and we never wanted to leave, but we almost felt like, are we supposed to leave? Because it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, and we really felt like, okay, this man, yeah, we because our plan was always to die in Taiwan. Like we never had any plans to leave. We didn't even have plans to visit. Okay, it's like we just. That, that was our home and we loved it. We had no desire to go anywhere else. And then within two weeks, one of our kids who was at school had his uh, the breakdown and it became clear. Like we, we had to, we had to go minister to him. It was not, it was just not an option. There was nowhere for him to live. Like we had to, we just knew we had to come back. And so that all just kind of blew up, blew up at once. And it, yeah. We thought, I don't want to say too much. So again, I don't want to, uh, I'm not trying to hide it. It's more about kind of protecting him, my, my, my child. And like the facts that don't, the world doesn't need to know or the world of however many people don't necessarily need, but just, <laughs> we thought that we were going to have longer to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, we knew we were going to have to move back, but we thought probably it would be, so this is in February January February maybe toward late February we thought we would have until the summer maybe August September of yeah. 20 and, um, and and which we would have needed we had we have friends all over the island and we wanted to kind of get to everybody and instead we ended up having about a week uh, when I got back from the US I was gone almost a month helping him get resettled and all that and I came back and Trump was throwing a lot of bluster out there about shutting all the shutting all the travel down. He said, if you're American and you're abroad and you need to come, you need to come home now, T- the circumstances dictated that we we leave immediately. And there were yeah. people that we loved that we didn't really get to say goodbye to.
0: I remember we there saw were, you guys the night before you left i think yeah i think you came over that night i think we came over the night before you guys left and justin and sharon were there and i think jerry and ruby stopped by i think that's that was like the night or two nights before
1: yeah it was brutal brutal it was like just felt so empty man i don't know how to like we were talking the other day. If I couldn't have done this, had this conversation even a year ago, I couldn't, couldn't have had this conversation with you. I would have been in tears, like unable to talk. I've become very defensive uh, of myself and my own. Like, I seriously, there are, I think I've told you, like my phone will pop up like four years ago. And as soon as I like, four years ago, like at Google will be like, hey, you want to, do you want to remember and be really sad? No, I'm just going to oh. swipe that away. I can't. Maybe someday I'll be able to look at it and just be happy. Uh, but it, but it, uh, it's getting a little better. But they would set maybe for the first year and a half, it would just send me into a week long depression, man. Like I can like I I um, I know that's not very spiritual, but whatever. But it just the uh, what we lost, and it's not like I could be like. I don't. God didn't need us there. He's not undone. Taiwan's not. You know, it's not Taiwan's law. It's ours. Like, like we are the ones who've lost. And yeah. So I, I just, I, I can't. I couldn't. I can think about it a little more now. Like, if I spend too long, sometimes a picture will pop up, and it's just like so many. There's so many people and memories attached to it that it's just like I could. I get my. I just feel like this hollowness in my chest and I like oh, it's just awful so I I generally just don't like but every there's not a day that's gone by we've been back now a year and uh eight months and uh there has not been a day where I have not thought about Taiwan not wished I was in Taiwan not you know I just not a day and it's everything people what do you miss I don't what, what don't I'm like it's it's everything it's everything it's my American friends. It's you. And like, I, I like, I want to watch August grow up, man. Like I'm, I'm missing that. Justin and Sharon just had another baby. I'm not going to get to see that. Like I, I, I married them, you know, like, I, yeah. so I should get to watch their kids grow up. Like, so there's like, ah, we have so many people there. We love it. Just, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. So I don't think about it. I don't think about it too much. <laughs> or <laughs> i think about it frequently but i just don't think too deeply like i, I gotta let it go like touch it and go like it yeah. uh, i can't sit on it you know
0: so or sit how, in it. getting back kind of how i guess my starter question so how has that shaped your your walk or changed how you view um your i guess your relationship towards being a pastor or missionary
1: well, yeah, I'd say, there, yeah, there's two. Let's talk about the the pastor missionary part. I I, I think I was never so arrogant. I mean, I would say I'm, we all suffer with pride and arrogance, but I was never so full of myself that I thought I was, I was gonna, you know make the splash in Taiwan or make this a, you know, like, I I understand this. I'm a little, little fish. Like I would just, you know, um, but the truth is probably that there's part of me that thinks somehow God needed me there or that he needs me to be a pastor. And, um, and in relation to shift to ministry because i'm not ministering anywhere right now i'm working a regular job i think it's coming to some kind of peace with the fact that those 7 years that i got to be a pastor to wanna if that's the extent of my pastoral ministry or vocational ministry then that's okay i mean god god's doing something he's going to bring those who are his to himself there in Taiwan. I was really privileged to get to be a part of that for a little while. He doesn't need me. I, 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 it was a privilege to be able to do that. And, and if I ever am able to be a pastor vocationally again, or even, you know, by vocation, whatever, like if I ever, ever able to be in ministry again, that's great. I mean, that's where my heart is. I mean, I can't lie. Like that's where my heart is, but I am I would say about as okay as I can be uh, with with not being in ministry. Like I'm not angry, um, not hurt. Uh, I don't think somehow I'm lesser uh, because of that. But I still would like to. Uh, I mean, if if if, if every other thing, other thing being equal, if somebody came in and put two tickets to Taiwan or for and, and everybody was willing to go, I'd be on the plane back to Taiwan tonight. Uh, absolutely, but so I, I would say I'm at I'm at peace with whatever I don't I don't want to lie I, I I'm as close to being at peace as I can be I think to whatever God's got planned for me and I and I'm I get it I get I get it that he doesn't need me like he's doing something and this is where I have to talk to myself because I always feel this. Like, I don't mean like just one, he's going to, he's got his plan, but more importantly for my, my somehow it's going to be good for me uh, and for my family. I don't see it. And I think maybe that's something called faith (laughs) to believe that uh, he's good, that he does good. And he has good plans. And you know what? That might involve us being back in Taiwan one day. That'd be awesome. It might not. And if I'm being real honest, not as awesome. But I do think if that's the case, that that, that God will cause us, that is mainly me and my wife, to be satisfied with that, to, to be happy. I, th- I think over the over the last almost two years now, I've just become less... I'm still very sad that we're not there, but probably my mind goes more toward being happy about what we have from there. That makes it like, I don't mean yeah. things, I mean people, relationships, yeah. the experience of being there, uh, the love for Chinese. We still go to Chinese class every Sunday here. There's a place we go here in, in the States, in Florida. So I think my mind probably these days goes more to, toward that, like just being, being happy about what we got, you know, and the relationships that that we made there, that that you know, will last for the rest of our life. The other question was, how has it changed my relationship? So it's changed my relationship to ministry and kind of how I view my myself and the importance of myself and like the need for me, like there's part of me that needs to be in ministry, but recognizing that maybe hey, God doesn't need me there. Like uh-huh. his kingdom isn't failing because I'm not in Taiwan or not in ministry. It's, you know, he's him and his kingdom are move on. And I am a privilege to be a part of that, whether tangentially or like right in kind of vocational ministry. Um, I'm still part of it. As far as how it's changed my relationship with God, I, I think that is profound and that it has made me desperate. And I think Taiwan, being in Taiwan, was already doing that in a way, like kind of like being on a, just kind of unmoored from everything you knew and the strangeness and all that also does that. But losing this thing that you, that maybe defined you like losing like that there were, I talked about that dark year, but, but probably the darkest time was, and it was dead dark in a different way. I was, I can honestly, and I would say if I was angry with God over what happened with my son, with us having to leave Taiwan, if I was angry, I would tell you, I just, I wasn't, but I was hopeless like i just so i just felt utterly lost without hope and i felt my spirit moving towards apathy which it turns out is a lot scarier than anger and hatred and it kind of felt something like all right god i i know you are i i, I you know I, I know you exist i know but uh, you're gonna do whatever you want to do and it doesn't matter. Like what I think about it, how I feel about it, how it hurts me. It doesn't matter to you. And it's, I uh, just, I'm, whatever, just do what you're going to do. I'm not mad at you. Just do what you do. I'm, I'm, I don't need to be involved in it. And I could feel myself. And I had a good buddy named Greg Trotter, older guy in, in our time in Washington. And he, he preached a sermon and he preached it for me. I know because he told me later, he preached it for me about the danger of apathy and, and it, it rocked me. I thought this is scarier than being mad at God and thinking I could walk away is not caring about God or Christ or my faith, like just not caring because something in those months from starting in the end of January, February, whenever it was around, I think it was uh, right around uh, Valentine's day, actually. So February 14th when all, everything just blew up. When you feel, when there's so many feelings, right? At some point you're like, I just can't deal with feeling anymore. Like I can't, I don't give it hatred or love or sadness or happy. Like I, I can't, like it's too much. And you kind of like build a wall around your heart. Like I'm just not, I can't feel anything. It turns out that's really dangerous. <laughs> and so I reached a point, I, I reached a point. I couldn't say when this happened But I remember telling, you know, praying and saying, I don't, I don't feel the truth of all of this, but man, Jesus, I need you to be who the Bible says you are. Because if you're not, I've got nothing left. And, and so it's, you know, a lot of people in my world, maybe get uncomfortable with somebody who was a pastor, or maybe I'm all, I don't know, I'm still ordained. So am I still a pastor? I don't have a congregation, whatever. Somebody who is or was a pastor, a missionary to talk this way. But there was this, it was, it was this, this like a a desperation. Like this has got to be true. Like Jesus has got to be who the Bible says he is. And he had to have accomplished what he said he came to accomplish. And he, he better not be done. He can't be done accomplishing his work. I desperately need this to be true. And if it's not, why even live? Like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? Like it's, this is, so it created this, like, so here's how it changed it. It just made me, I had nowhere to look, but up. Like I had nowhere to like, there's, I don't have ministry to hang on to. I don't have, I'm a missionary to hang on to. I don't have people that I've been investing my life in and frankly, Tom and his brother who've been investing themselves in me. And I don't have that. I've got nothing. I have my family. And you know how family is. Sometimes you love them, sometimes you know, you know, you have to love them. And I've got nothing. All the things that were really important to me are gone. I mean, I, I mean, obviously I love my family. You know what I'm saying? yeah. But the but the things that made me as a man who I like a pastor, I'm a missionary. I'm a I've got nothing. I have no place. I'm ministry. I have nothing. And it was it was like uh, you know the stuff that was going on uh with our family. Like, I, again, not to, like there was no way to control it. I couldn't I couldn't be the super dad and fix anything. It just it was broken and it's gonna be broken a while. And and there was nothing in my life that I could fix. It wasn't like, if I try really hard, I can fix this. If I do it, it was like, I'm powerless. I have nowhere to turn. And so it just made me desperate. Like, I just need God to be who he says he is in his word. I just need him. I just need you to be that. Like, that's why I just finished the Psalms again this morning for the, I've been, since I came back, I've been reading, I've basically read nothing in my Bible except the Psalms just over and over and over again because I find myself identifying with a lot of it (laughs) yeah so I would say it has changed it I would have never said you know I'm I'm, I'm studying Chinese and I'm preaching every week and I'm doing this stuff for God and it's and God's like hey you know hey dummy (laughs) I, I love you but I don't you understand I don't need you to do anything for me like I don't I'm not desperate for your help. I'm not desperate for your love. I'm not desperate for your strength. Um, It turns out it's the other way around. Like, I'm the desperate one. And I just read this today. And, uh, okay, so being a, you know, pastor, former pastor, I can't, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, Psalm 147, that, that God is pleased with, or Yahweh is pleased with those who, two things, two characteristics, like those who fear him and those who hope in him, not those who minister for him, not those who are missionaries for him, not those who leave their family for him. Like you, you fear him and, and all that means positively, you know, and negatively, and you hope in him. And I'm thinking, well, that, yeah, I, 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 that's where I'm at. That's all, that's all I have to offer him is like I'm recognizing I'm nothing, and you're, and and you're my only hope. What well, you've done, that's it. I got nothing else. And so, like, I found that very comforting. That's the stuff that I keep running into. Like, I don't have to perform for him. He's not, he's not, doesn't love me less today because I'm, you know, I have no ministry or I'm not like it's it's okay. Like, he loves me because I'm counting on him. <laughs> like my whole, I put all my eggs in that basket and that's enough. Like, that's enough that I'm just like, Hey, my faith isn't real strong. I have a lot of doubts, a lot of struggles, but at the end of it, I'm just saying, I need you to be who you say you are. And I need you to come through for me and for my family and for my children. And, and I don't see it happening But like anything, often we only see it in retrospect, like, oh, wow, he really, he was really coming through that whole time. I couldn't see it. So I just have to hope that that's what's going on. And it's not hope that is unfounded, right? It's it's hope based on uh, some real promises and some real actions that have happened in the past.
0: Well, guys, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that two-part episode with Ryan. I want to say a big thank you to our guest, Ryan. I really enjoyed catching up with you. A big thank you to Dale, our editor, and Nelson, our producer, as well as you, the listener. We could not do any of this without you. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It may not seem like much, but every little bit helps us tell more people about missionaries in East Asia. If you have a question or just want to reach out, feel free to contact us at tmfccg at gmail.com. We'll be back in two more weeks. Until then. Bye!